Seth and Jake talking about The Outsider, Stephen King's novel turned HBO uh, miniseries thriller. Starts off with some pretty heavy True Detective vibes, and then it gets a little more out there. Um, All right, I'm going to recap it. Jason Bateman is Terry Maitland, who's like a local baseball coach, uh, teacher, beloved by the community, someone we've all seen or heard about, that type of character. And in the first episode, he's arrested for the murder, assault, and mutilation of this young boy. And they've got all the evidence against him, DNA, video evidence, everything you need to lock him up. And they do. They make a huge public arrest. This good cop who's recently lost his own son. He's had the trauma of losing his own son. And so he's especially sensitive to this guy killing a young young boy and make a huge arrest. And after they arrest him, they realize that there's actually just as much physical evidence that he wasn't there that he was. And then you're faced with the impossible question of how is that possible? And you see, like, for anyone who's watched true crime documentaries or listened to podcasts, you see the cops and lawyers immediately go try and disprove it. And as the show goes on, you realize that they can't. And then it begs the question. They bring in more more characters, and eventually someone's able to start convincing them that the re- like they're the whole question is once you remove the impossible, you have to consider the improbable, no matter how improbable it may seem, which leads them down the supernatural path. And the further they go down, and that sounds really cool, but this is like, they stretch it out over a lot of episodes. And I think the problem is that it's a really cool concept at first and they just take too long to stretch it out, but it's a cool idea and concept. And it's like the idea of when you have like these good men, whether they're lawyers, cops, DAs, just good men, good women, moms, teachers, they're like, it does, it, you just have good people, but you face them with this impossible idea. And it's the idea that they become vulnerable to evil when they're unwilling to accept that evil exists, which is a very weird, I feel like it's a very like weird thing to say, or I feel, but to me, that's kind of the takeaway of it. That's a good take. That's a, I hear it. uh, I think that's exactly what's going on with the show. And and this and so the, I and I know I really like that. I just my problem with the show is that's like I think four episodes of content or like thematic elements, and it's spread out over eight so far, and it's just like not hitting it for me. I think what they were I think what they were trying to do is actually similar to what The Exorcist does, where it's like the the whole first like hour and a half of The Exorcist is like actual doctors and like people of science like working on this girl trying to help her and like get her normal again. And when it's like when you run out of all of those options, you have to turn to something else. And so it's like that's when Alan Bernstein turns to a fucking priest. But in this show, it's like <laughs> once they've exhausted all the options of like the normal physical world, they have to start thinking about what's actually happening. And like what you're alluding to that's evil is this thing they're calling it El Cuco in the show. But I. I, I so I got some questions for you about it because I don't know if I can totally comprehend the cycle of the El Cuco. Okay, you know what? I've actually I've read the book and I've read a couple of his other books. So throw your questions. I mean, we're talking about El Cuco. Questions about it because that's right. that's really the middle four episodes of the show, and it's a huge chunk of the book too. And it's the whole question of what is this it's, thing? Yeah, so. I, the first two episodes I was really into in the show, and it was going more like a true crime thing. 
And then as it's gone on, I realized, oh, what they're doing here is like, it is like a true crime show, but they're doing it with a supernatural element so that it's not going to play out the way a normal true crime would, where they like solve the case or it's like, you know, only real people are involved kind of thing. It's like, it's like, what do you, what happens in a true crime show when you give them something that's supernatural, which is, you know, that's an interesting concept. I didn't love the, the black female character who become, who's a private investigator. Holly Gibney. She's, I actually, I like her. So she's a character based on from the book, and there's another show, and I, the other show is on like another network. It's got different actors. They're not, not connected. Super critical, but I think she, for, uh, uh, to some degree, she falls into what Spike Lee would call the magical Negro category, where it's like she's very attuned to things for some reason, and she picks up on all these things, and it's like okay, we, there's no real explanation behind that. We just. Uh, understand that she's like gifted in this way i don't i mean again i could be totally missing that i don't think that's necessarily like a black white thing that that's not just like a that character exists in in all cultures the the, we call it curly sue that's what like ray was accused of like there's names for that in every culture yeah i think what spike was referring to because there was like a slew of movies like the green mile i think is the best example where this guy can just like magically like remember that movie where you can like heal things or whatever? No, I do, but like my, my criticism with that is like if you you can paint everything with that brush, but like it's possible for like That's true. He's not necessarily <laughs> black because it's like for some shtick value. And I get my biggest problem with Spike Lee is I'm sorry, sometimes to hammer everything's a nail. I feel like everything's an egregious he complains about a lot of stuff that as you make everything racial when it not, not doesn't necessarily. And again, yeah, I get it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white guy. I don't yeah. fully get it, but it's like, I do get it. And I'm just telling you, like, I'm not the enemy. And so sometimes I'm like, I really don't know what you're talking. I'm not going to, I'm not going to die on a hill over the magical Negro thing. I'm just saying she kind of fits that category. If you look at it that way. Um, but anyways, the one thing I'll say though, the one thing to say though, is cause it's Stephen King wrote both. She's not, uh, black in the books. Oh, interesting. Okay. She's like a middle-aged white woman. So that's good context. So it's a little different. Um, uh, and actually the, the, the screenwriter or teleplay writer wanted Richard Price wanted to change the character's name. <clears throat> and Stephen King was adamant that he didn't because his names are a big thing for him. So you asked about El Cuco and the feeding cycle. Do you want me to give you the, or, or do you have more questions? Do you want to is well, there I was more? say, so it's like this girl, She's the one who's kind of attuned to things, figures out that this El Cuco creates doppelgangers and then spreads <laughs> the evil, I guess, via scratch. And then when it scratches someone else, it like inhabits them, creates another doppelganger. And then at some point it has to feed on children. And then another, it can also create a slave through this back neck virus, like rash thing. Um, I guess so. What my understanding is, it'll scratch somebody, and then within like a week or something, that person will have a doppelganger that eats a kid, and then, then I guess it scratches somebody else. That's my understanding of the cycle right now. All right. So I've read the book and I finished it. So there's certain things I can't say. So I'll only speak to what we've seen. And as of episode eight, I'm like talking about the the yeah. attacking the children and the caressing the neck and all that. Yeah. And they've kind of talked about this, too, about it being there and not being there. There's very much a question of this thing being able to project itself. But, like, it's not – it's there and not there. Like, it leaves a residue on the chair, but it wasn't physically there. It was hiding somewhere else. 
So there's very much like it's a somewhat. In- it seems to appear in dreams a lot. But then it likes, you know. Exactly, and that's a whole thing. Kind of that's a been, thing. And that's a whole thing that's been explored everywhere. Like, what are dreams? Like, is that real? Is it not? Like, so it has very much a transitory element to him. It, um, crap. I'm losing my thought again. It's it's one of those days. Yeah, that, we're trying to explain the cycle. Um, oh, so the cycle is that it can be in more places than once. There's also. Yeah. Stephen King has a connected, like, talk about interconnected galaxies, universes. That's why he wanted to have the same character's name. And this character, so in this character, it regenerates every 37. We're talking about the regeneration um, and the 27 days. That plays into the interconnected universes and uh, it uh, from the novel It and the movies. Oh, okay. It takes 27, I think, to 28 years to regenerate. So that's a play on that. And there's, uh, I can't give anything. So it's a, that there's a connection there to Stephen King's evil, like there's that that's yeah, something that's symbolic. Similar to the it kind of evil, yeah, that makes some sense. It's longer in the books. It might be more like 27 months or like a couple, like maybe a year. But like uh, the the 27 is symbolic to Stephen King's universe and his concept of evil. And there's a there is they've even said it in the show already by describing it. There's the idea that there's more than one and one for different cultures and different like times, like that they, like they talk about El Cuco and like at this point we've heard them talk about multiple cultures across different times. Well, so I have, my question is like, there's this video footage of the Bateman of Bateman getting scratched by a doppelganger. But then to me, it's like, so then how long was it till Bateman's doppelganger showed up? A month. That was the whole trip. It scratched him in when they were visiting the dad and it waited all that time. I see. So you don't see the Bateman doppelganger till a month later. But it's like that doppelganger just appears. I don't, does it appear from the old doppelganger? Like it sheds the old doppelganger skin and gets the new I think you're mis understanding it is physically changing and it can project itself in like dreams and visions, but what's yeah. actually doing the murders, it's not a, it's, it's not a projection. It's the physical manifestation. I get, yeah, but the, it's like, there's still the, that means there's still two Batemans like at the same time, right? No, there's Bateman, there's Maitland. And then there's this creature that just looks like Maitland. I see. Okay. Um, and then what you, and then it can project itself and it projects itself apparently looking like whatever it wants, but that's in the mind or dream. So it's not really like, I have this whole image in my head of like, it takes children and like creates doppelgangers out of the bodies or something, but whatever it's like, you're saying it's like, it's one entity. It's just sort of shape shifting to look different ways. Yeah. And it, it can eat, it's eating kids and deer. It, like we see it eat animals throughout the thing too, like and it's feeding off emotion, like negative emotion. And they didn't like the cancerous guy either. It was upset with that. Well, there's some question. Seems like he wants a pure boy. I'm not going to argue with you there, uh, but uh, the the whole thing is. Uh, it's definitely at this point, you know, it's clearly something supernatural. You don't know what it is, and but like what power it has. At this point, you have to realize how, who who is it attacked, who is it gone after. And I'm not giving anything away here, but just like 
It's taking little boys. It's attacking children. It's coming to people in their dreams. It's physically not actually, you don't know. And even like the, the cop, you don't actually see it. Like it doesn't do anything to him. It just like touches his neck. Like you yeah. don't know how powerful it actually is. And I'm not, this isn't giving anything away, but at this point it's a very like oblique concept of a monster. It's like an outline and you don't know really what's in there. And that, well, you do, I mean, it's like, you do sort of have an impression that it's just straight up eating children raw, which is pretty gruesome. And then in the cave in the last episode, I mean, it's chewing on something pretty aggressively. I wasn't a kid though. I, I thought it was an animal because you'd seen it feed animals before. Maybe. I mean, I'm not uh, a doctor. <laughs> All right. Well, so here's a question for you. What do you think of the cop character, like Ralph Anderson? Um, I the I think it's played by Ben Mendelsohn as the actor. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, the really it hinges on him. The book does too. It's all about. It's like he's the straight man. I like that actor. He's a pretty good actor. The character. um, So it's like it's a character who's a cop who's steadfast and like finding facts and evidence to to solve a case. And now he's presented with a case that has all these supernatural elements to it, and he's like grappling to like really deal with that. Um, I like to me, it's like he is the kind of guy though that like he has been presented with enough evidence that it's like he should, uh, it's like he should be acknowledging like that this thing, not that it's like, he doesn't have to acknowledge that it's supernatural. He just has to acknowledge that it's like, is a thing and that, that they're like tracking. It. And I think it's like, I think, I think in real, not that this situation would happen in real life, but I think in real life, once presented with the type of facts, uh, the private investigator shows him, I think that like most people would be convinced and like would, would be able to track it even if they, you know, you could still detach yourself from supernatural stuff and track this thing in a reasonable way, I guess. But you know, his wife warns him he's like, she's like, you know, if you don't believe in this shit, you're the most at risk kind of thing, which you're saying, uh, that the wife, did I cut off? that the wife, uh, she was like, if you don't believe in this, that you're the most in danger. Yeah, so she warns him, which is, you know, probably a fair warning, but um, I don't, yeah, it's like, I, I feel like even though the situation could happen in real life, in real life, I think someone presented with these facts would have, like, kind of, like, acknowledged something out of the ordinary was happening, but still been able to track it. I think the actor's good. I think he's done a good job with the part. I agree. I, I think it... The, the best thing I mean, about I think it. He's the strongest actor in the series. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem. Cynthia Irvio, or I think Irvio, whatever her name is, I'm sorry. She's great. And I liked her in, oh, I can't remember the name. She was in some weird crime film vignette that was trying to be like a. Uh, True Detective or something? No, nah, it was a film that had like Chris Hemsworth in it and G- uh, Jeff Daniels and John Hamm. And it was actually a pretty good film. It was trying to be like a Tarantino movie, but it just came off like a little short. Um, it was a great film. Yeah, it was still a good film. I'm losing losing track here. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I've seen the. Uh, I spun out. Well, I totally spun out there. Okay. You're okay. <laughs> Outsider. She's in that. She's in that film. She's great in that film. Cynthia. She's good, but Holly Gibney, the whole character. They make her 
she's in this character's in another film called another series called Mr. Mercedes, and it's the same problem in that film. It's that thing that she's like, oh, they make her. She's so she's like a Jedi, but like oh, yeah. with less explanation. She just knows everything at the right time. She can do everything, and it's just a little too convenient. And my problem in this show is that she's like the whole point is that she doesn't have any social skills, but she's able to convince this cop that it's real. And it's like, and I'm not saying that's not realistic. I just don't know if she necessarily pulls it across. And I know the wife plays into it. And like, there's more than, there's more than just her. I just don't necessarily, my biggest problem with it is I think Mendelssohn does a great job. I don't think anyone gives him enough through no detriment of his own. No one ever gives him that great counter performance where you're like, you get to see him being convinced. I agree. No one's like kind of going toe to toe with him. And it's, uh, it's, I, it, the actually the, the, the only example where it happens is where his partner is like, this is the difference between you and me. Like you need this to make sense. I just need this to end. And it's yeah. like, that's one of the, like, that's the only time where I'm like, you can kind of be like, okay, this is clearly like someone he respects who's basically like, he's telling him like, grow up, man, this is crazy. And he's looking back and like, no man, like shut, like put your yeah. head out of your ass and look like realize what you're looking at. And like, Let's finish this. And like that was and my I, take like, away. He basically only goes along because he's exhausted all the reasonable options he had. It's like he pretty much has nowhere else to turn. And that he's like, this is how desperate I am. Like I'm, it's like I'm trusting this. And it's like, and I think in the back of his head he knows she's right because he's like been presented with some facts and stuff. But like, um, it, it's believable to me that he's like that reluctant about it because it's just like. It just sounds like a boogeyman story to him. Well, as a seasoned investigator, I'm sure he realizes the appreciates the two contrasting sets of evidence. Like that's my yeah. takeaway is ultimately why he's willing to even consider anything else. Yeah, I think you have, and like all the video evidence too. You know, they've caught two doppelgangers in different places, like on camera at this point. And so it's like, once you have seen it twice, I think you have to have some appreciation for what's going on. So the doppelganger is an interesting concept. And I think it's, it's actually, I think it's initially a German word, but it's not in German. It's like the concept predates that. It's the idea that there's someone out there that looks like you. And there's a bunch of different like theories behind why, but like, it's a pretty interesting theory like and it's also been kind of somewhat popular and i feel like movies and stuff in the last somewhat recently uh yeah us specifically i think went after doppelgangers enemy wasn't that the jake gyllenhaal film the what enemy the jake gyllenhaal film didn't that touch on that too i haven't seen that maybe enemy enemy does it um, to varying degrees uh, that movie Lost Highway involves doppelgangers oh I've actually never seen that I've seen parts of it I've never seen the whole thing very weird movie Uh, Mulholland Drive not to the same degree I guess but yeah it's it's a pretty abstract concept and then it's kind of for some people it's very frightening and for other people it's kind of a goofy concept It's it's just like it's nonsense kind of I just think it's like 
I think it's very interesting. I think it can be all of the above. And I also think it's just, it's like funny and scary. And it's also just like, eh, like what a coincidence. Like, can you believe it? <laughs> I mean, like. There's some existentialism to it, too. You know, people who believe in multiple universes and stuff, I think, you know, it's like, oh, what if I had all these doppelgangers? Well, the multiverse introduced by many Marvel movies and DC yes. movies recently. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, there's another recent example. Kind of, uh, does that count as doppelgangers? I guess it could. No, in a way it would. It's different. I mean, not maybe directly, but yeah. It's different versions of yourself. I'll count it. Yeah. <laughs> doppelgangers. Um, uh, it's, so in this, it's not necessarily a doppelganger. It really is a shapeshifter. Kind of, although I think at the same time, it's like when Bateman hears about what's happened, I think it's like there is this like panic inside of you that's like, what if an evil version of me got out and just did all, like started eating kids or something? It's like, what if the, that part of me is walking around? So I think there is something to that sort of. I think everyone understands that there's like a base sense somewhere like in them. Like, and I think that's that I think that's one of the best things about the book. And it's like, as you said, that fear, like, this isn't possible, but you also see evidence of yourself somewhere else, and you, yeah. you have to realize, that like, you have to get a grip and be like, no, that's not real. But even then, like, at some point, you're probably questioning yourself, and it's like, was that worst part out of me? Like, yeah. did that get out? Is that possible? And in this case, no, it didn't. You're just getting fucked by some evil demon. Like, I, I, I'm not giving anything away. That's just, I'm. you have no idea that's what this pretty, fucking like, thing is. sort of little critique would be like, I know, so obviously this El Cuco thing, it's got a pretty good game, you know, it's got a pretty good little scam it's been running for the last few thousand years, but it seems to me like it's not airtight, I guess. And it's, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little like, I think someone could have figured this out back in 2005, like, why did it take till 2020? <laughs> well, my takeaway is that it's not a matter of, like, technology or anything, it's just the matter of getting enough people to look at it and be like, realize that to build like critical mass, get like five, six, 10 people that are like, okay, this is real. Like, and that's how much you need to end up taking it out. And these all are all like a bunch of cops, lawyers, DAs. Like there's a lot of powerful people there. The, the women are all strong women, the wives, like everyone there is like pretty formidable, smart, tough, whatever in their own way. And it's like, but do you I, think anyone was like even aware of it? I guess it. I mean, if there's all these like whatever wives' tales, I think of- if you're doing ten episodes, it would have been cool to. I mean, I'm also I'm not going to rewrite Stephen King stuff, but like, if you would introduce someone who maybe been trying to track it, I think that could have been a cool character. Yeah, they're like, oh, I was tracking this in the '70s. I lost, it, lost it. You know, and now it's like now you guys have found it again. And maybe that person ends up being more dangerous than El Cuco or like a, a threat in its own right. Like I, I think there's a bunch of things you can do there. I I think there's some lost opportunity there because I agree with you. The character doesn't fully make sense. It seems strangely, it has a very like unique power, but it also seems strangely vulnerable. And like yeah. so, the last even in the last episode, it has a kid and it can't escape. It's thwarted. That was, by- a, that was an interesting scene too. The way it just like freaked out and the masks. There's some Kubrickian references going on. And this, I can't remember the where this is from, but it's like an interesting theory. It's like all these monsters are really scary and all these stories and everything. But then the concept is that the reason they're scary, it's like they're always attacking kids and it's like, well, what attacks kids? What can only, it's probably something that can only attack kids. 
And the idea being that like, they might not like, it's this very still dangerous, terrifying, evil thing, but that like, like confronted with, like with confronted with real opposition might be not that it can't still be dangerous, but that it might not just be, you're not, it's not, I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but just that like, it can be stopped if hmm. like a properly approached. And but like the slave guy, is he just stuck like that forever? Like, can he put a bomb on that rash? You know, I don't know. I'd pop the bubbles. Well, one of the things she said is like, it, it's attracted to something. And so like he, like, and they do a better job of this on the book than they've done in the, the series is like, he's been recently divorced. Like he's like, he's hurting. And it's like he's sad. Yeah, he's kind of going through hell. Kind of. And so that's what attracts it to him. Like there, it could have gotten probably anyone who was at that barn, but it got him. I see. Interesting. And it was, uh, and it's working out for it because he also hates the cop, the main cop, Ralph Anderson. So, still, man, I'd uh, put some, you know, put some balm on that on your neck there, buddy. Well, you might feel a little better. There's got to be a better way. Like you don't just throw on like your your rough denim shirt. I just love they do a good job with those effects. Alright. We're in episode eight. What are your do you want to give predictions? You want to give a rating on the last few episodes? Uh, sure. Um I this show's probably settling into the sixes for me. Um I sort of, when it started I wanted it to be like a true crime show. Then I sorta of had to deal with the private investigator character. Now I'm kind of at the point where it's like I've swallowed what the concept really is and that it like is a true crap show but about a supernatural sort of villain. And uh, yeah, I would say I'm like looking forward to the finale of it now. Um, so it's probably like a high six for me, like a 6.7. And I want to say it's going to end with this cop catching a doppelganger. <laughs> Maybe with a kid. And, uh, you know, getting a real uh, convo with El Cuco and then probably shooting him in the face is my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's, uh, I'm not going to say anything because I've read the book and I, I, I so I'm going to limit mine <laughs> to basically. Well, I mean, the, you know, it, it is a show. They could go in a different direction. I don't know how the book ends, but the, the, there's always a chance the show goes in a different direction, right? That's actually very true, and they've actually made a couple big changes from the book, so that's actually a very good point. So in that respect, I'm probably giving it a little higher just because I really – I think there's a dearth, I think that's the right word, uh, yeah. of, like, good horror shows. I agree with you. I wish they'd followed the more logical route. I think they could have, like, pulled out the investigation and maybe made, like – they could have stretched that out over a couple episodes and made it a little more, like, creepy and eerie and maybe, like, Twin Peaks, like – yeah, atmospheric and just, and then you realize, like, I think they could have built to the impossibility. Of yeah, I think they, you get the reveal of it being supernatural came a little too early, maybe. I'm also not going to lie. I don't think now that they've introduced the actual El Cuco and we've seen it a few times, I think it's a little. It was better, like when it was more ethereal, abstract. like yeah. yeah, abstract, ethereal. Like it was like a whisper. You like. So like burning your neck, like like yeah, I, I thought that was much cooler. Like it was a flash, a shadow in a barn. Uh, one joke I had after the first five episodes was I was like, man, this is a long X Files season. <laughs> I actually like that. That's a great joke, and I think that's a hundred percent accurate. Well, they're they're barring. I think I really think they're barring a lot from X Files, 
And again, I can't really, I, I don't want to give, I can't really say much and they could change it, but I'm interested to see where they go. The changes they made from the book have been interesting. I'm not sure how they're going to go with it in the show, but it's been, uh, I think the show has been like four or five really good episodes spread out over eight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think you can have maybe a couple better, I'm not going to say who, but I think there's a bunch of different characters you could have cast differently and it would have been much better. You, you hit the notes with Jason Bateman and Ben Mendelsohn and I'm blanking on her name, but Jason Bateman's wife, she's awesome. Uh, and there are a bunch of other great and good performances. And I think you can tell the HBO has this like pool of actors that they'll throw into these shows and there's a couple of them in the show. A couple of them really, really shine in this, and there's more and less that I said. But like, acting's not a problem. It's just a little, a couple times. There's a few people that are miscast. That, that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. That's and fair. it's more than one, and I'm not gonna say who, because I don't want to be negative. And I feel like I could. I like <laughs> it, it's the ones I liked. I pretty much said. I, I have no problem with Cynthia. The Holly Gib the Holly Gibney character, I actually think she's good as well. That's the only one thing I'll say. It's just I think feel like she's she should, almost feels like she should be in a different movie or show or, or whatever. Like she's a little too out of place and I know that's what you're going for, but like Yeah. I disagree with Spike Lee's comment and I know I defended her before, but like she was by the way, Spike didn't make that comment about her. He made that comment about a bunch of other movies, but I was applying it to that character. <laughs> Seth made that rude comment then. Right. Yeah, blame me, not Spike. Uh, no, no, but uh, she was... She's good. She's just not... They're missing something, and I just feel like her and her and Ben Mendelsohn, they're not... They're scenes together. They're great alone, but their scenes together aren't great. And I think that's... I, I, you can blame that on him, too. That I shouldn't just be blaming that on her, but I just first. I do, they do have a couple scenes where it's good that the juxtaposition of thoughts between them. Um, I don't know. I'm not in love with her performance. I did. I just like. I get you're kind of trying to do this. Like, I guess it's like semi autistic almost kind of thing. It's like a Rain Man thing. It's like uh, yeah. Not in love with it. <laughs> it's not my favorite. I don't fully. She's a I wasn't in love with Dustin Hoffman and Rayman either. I thought Tom Cruise is better. <laughs> and on that note, folks, we're going to call it a day with The Outsider. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and goodbye from Jake and Seth.